what comes to your mind looking for response? Okay, creation, anyone else? <clears throat> Peggy. Thank you, Peggy. Anyone else? God's awesome in this. What do you think comes to your mind? think of the Dominican Republic one or two years there's a couple kids that went seems like we sang that song over and over again uh, and I say that in a positive way you know just makes me think of that time frame in my life you know God is awesome anyone else God's awesomeness what comes to mind <clears throat> pray together. Father, we know that you're great in terms of ability and power. You are awesome. We think about your creation, the majesty of it, the grandeur, how great it is. We have to thank you for revealing yourself to us. And thank you for giving us the living Christ, the written Christ in Scripture, and also your Spirit. As we interact with some of your word tonight, we want to be open and sensitive, be endures of your word. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> We're talking about fatherhood today, and I would pose a question. Why should you even listen? Why should you be concerned? And the reason I would say all of us should be concerned is, and this is, again, an illustration of pyramid, the bedrock would be manhood, then womanhood, then fatherhood, motherhood, local church, community, and our nation. One is dependent upon those underneath. And again, we could put things under manhood, but we're just, you know, seeking to illustrate that part of it. This morning I gave an illustration of asking JDT to come up here and, you know, build 
a building on this ball and on the way out some of you mentioned a number of things you said about putting some blocks around the base of the ball well one of the rules is you can't put any blocks around the base of the ball someone said dump the blocks out and put the bucket on top of the ball and go from there well one of the rules is you can't use the bucket you can only use the blocks and again why listen in our culture in Christianity for quite a few years We've been attempting to do a host of things in Christianity to help children and teens. And those may be well and good. I'm not knocking that. But if it's not built upon a correct foundation of fatherhood, it's like trying to build on a ball. Fatherhood is very, very critical. And I'm not laying aside motherhood at all. <clears throat> That'll come at a future time, but we're talking about fathers today. And we will look at a portion in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And as we study Scripture, it is important to keep in mind the context in which Scripture appears. The context of 1 Thessalonians, we find in chapter 1, 2 through 10, that Paul is talking about the power of the gospel. He thanks God for the believers in Thessalonica. And then he talks about how the gospel changed their lives, how they turned from idols to serve the true and living God and to wait for his coming from heaven. Then in chapter 2, 1 through 4, 12, he talks a lot about relationships, just the whole issue of relationships, how Paul, Silas, and Timothy cared for the believers in Thessalonica. And that's basically where he's coming from with that. You know, we care for you. We're concerned about you. And in that context of relationships, the passage we'll discuss tonight is mentioned. In chapter 4, 13 through 5, 11, he talks about the coming of the Lord. You know that the Lord is going to return. And then in chapter 5, verses 12 through 24, he gives some exhortations. Now let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Reading together verses 10 through 12, and then we'll look at a chart to illustrate it. You are our witnesses, or you are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. And again, Paul is de and Silas and Timothy are defending their ministry. Verse 11, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Now, in the context of relationships, he talks about their being witnesses of how they responded. But I want you to see in the context of relationships several other things. <clears throat> Skip down to verse 17 of chapter 2. <clears throat> but brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. Paul, Silas, and Timothy had a longing, a desire to know how these people were doing. Verse 18, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. 
Verse 1 of chapter 3, So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy as our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one be un, would be unsettled by these trials. Verse 6 of chapter 3, But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and your love. Paul, Silas, and Timothy had an intense longing for these people. There was care, there was concern. And it is in that context that Paul says, your witnesses, how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. And then he says, you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his children. I want to look at this chart and uh, use it to illustrate the passage that we're looking at. And notice he clearly says, earlier in the passage he talks about mothers, but in this passage in verse 11, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father <coughs> deals with his own children. A father dealing with his own children in the center of this diagram would go father. A father dealing with his own children. And Paul says a father would encourage and we'll explain and define that in just a little. He would encourage his children. He not only says would he encourage them, but he would also comfort his children. Again, a father responding to his children. And then he says a father also urges or is urging his children. He says we treated you as a father treats his children. Encouraging, comforting, and urging. These lines coming from father to encouraging, urging, and comforting would be, if you want to use a term, would just be dad's will. Dad's will to act. He chooses. He wills to encourage. He wills to comfort. He wills to urge. And these lines going between the outer circles are just endurance. Dad sticks with it day after day, week after week. Now, what does it mean for a father to encourage his children? What does it mean for a father to encourage his children? I want to define the term. It means persuading. It involves employing, you know, spurring them on, pushing them in the right direction, challenging them to be faithful to Christ. Kids need encouragement over and over again. 
your kids are in public school, if your kids interact in a job setting, your kids interact with friends, they're bombarded time and time again. They need encouragement just to be faithful to Christ. They need to be pushed in the correct direction. Fathers tend to tell children all they do wrong. But fail to tell them what they do right. Beware, fathers. One of the ways to discourage a child, to embitter a child, is to always tell them what they do wrong and rarely, if ever, telling them what they do right. Children, teens, need encouragement from dad. I'm not saying they don't need it from mother, but we're talking in the context, dad. A dad encouraging his children. They need it. I'm not going to say whether they're right or wrong, but some people would say for every one negative thing you say to your kids, you need to give them five positive responses to even be at balance on the even keel. I don't know if that's true or not. But they do need encouragement. And Paul says, we came among you and we were encouraging you as a father encourages his children. Children need encouragement. We need encouragement. It's part of life. And we need to, as fathers, seek to persuade, seek to push our children. He also says, we treated you as a father treats his children, providing some comfort. The idea of comfort is to cheer, to soothe, to console. It's a gentle influence by words. A gentle influence by words. Notice the word gentle. In John chapter 11, verses 19 and 31, we find there that people came to Mary and to Martha when their brother Lazarus passed, along, passed on to comfort them. Same Greek word being used. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14, Paul says, encourage the timid, console the timid, cheer, smooth, soothe the timid person, influence them gently with words. The idea that men must be tough and unemotional and unfeeling is not of God, but of the enemy. It's a tremendous influence, and some of this comes because of things in history, that men are to be tough and macho, and real men don't cry, real men don't display emotion. They're just tough guys. Paul says a father treats his children with comforting, to cheer, to soothe, to console, a gent gentle influence by words. 
your son or your daughter is tackling a new situation, they need comforting. And it's not going well. They need comforting. They're hurt by a broken relationship. It may be a dating relationship or some other relationship. They need comforting. I remember when Ruth Ann, not this Ruth Ann, another Ruth Ann basically said, Dan, I'm done with you. No, I hadn't dated a lot, but, you know, I liked her and so on. And she said, I'm done with you. It really blew me away. It's a real blow to me for a number of reasons. What did I need? Encouragement from mom? That was okay. I needed it from dad. A child comes home and failed a test that they studied for, and they applied themselves, and they just didn't do well. Oh, you failed the test. No, they need, probably, some comforting. Did you study hard? Yes. You did your best. Yeah. It's not the end of the world. You did your best. You applied yourself. You were seeking to be sensitive to God. Don't worry about it. You'll make it. You know, that soothing, that comforting from dad. So a child comes or a teenager comes to dad and says, Dad, is God real? I've been wondering, is God real? You know, I hear about creation and I hear about evolution, you know, which is right. You know, it's, evolution makes quite a bit of sense. Oh, dad gets real... The child needs some comforting, soothing, consoling, gentle influence with words. And I'm talking little child in this case, and I've seen this happen with our kids, where they built something with blocks. You know, they just build it, and then someone comes along and, and they just, oh, they have a fit. And what do we say as fathers? Buckle up. It's a bunch. It's just blocks. Their blocks to them is wrecking your car to you as a man. They need encouragement. Not being made fun of. Oh, it's just blocks. Paul dealt with these people. Silas dealt with these people. Timothy dealt with these people, giving them comforting. He also says... As a father deals with his children, we dealt with you by urging. Urging is to give evidence, to declare something distinctly and formally, to provide answers to the children's why questions. Not only the why questions, all their questions, but especially their why questions. Why do kids have all these why questions? Sometimes parents say, why do you keep asking why, why, why? Do you ever consider that, that God made them that way? And this is an opportunity for you as a father to urge them by answering their questions, declaring distinctly and formally, giving them an answer. Giving evidence, you know, reason. 
Don't get defensive. Just give evidence. Give answers. So your daughter comes to you, your 16-year-old daughter or 17-year-old daughter comes to dad and says, Dad, you know, I'm interested in this guy. And you know, we've, we've been dating for a while. And I keep hearing about, you know, how much fun sex is. You know, all my friends are involved sexually. And what do you think, Dad? <coughs> no. Thank you, daughter, for coming to me and talking to me. I'm really glad you came and talked to me. Let's see what God says. You know, what does God say about this? Oh, you better not have. No. Explain. Take Scripture, explain, and even go beyond Scripture. When I say go beyond Scripture, you know, just discuss. There's a lot of reasons. But what is it? Urging a daughter how to respond. So that the next time they have a question, oh, I'm, I'm going to go talk to Dad, see what Dad has to say. My brothers and I used to moan and groan to Dad, why do we have to work so much? Why do we have to work so much? And I'm talking when we're teenagers now. Dad's response varied from time to time, but basically, it's part of life. It's the way God designed it. And the amount of work depends on the family. It so happens we have a farm, so you get in for a lot of work. How you respond to this work is going to be your choice, but if you choose to accept the work and do it well, it's going to have a very profound impact on your life. So, work. He was, what was he doing? He was urging us in how to respond. And I would encourage you as fathers or potential fathers to encourage your children, to comfort your children, to urge your children. Be aggressive in doing that. So that when your children are 18 and 19 and 20 and 21 and 22 and 40 and 50, that they have the freedom to come and talk to you. I don't remember all the particulars, and this is no reflection on my father, but I remember when I went to the hospital for my surgery to have my skull tumor removed, and this is after, you know, the doctor not giving me a good out. Or no, not giving me any good news. I've asked myself, what if my dad would have just said to whoever, take care of the farm for a couple of days, and I'm going up to Wilkesbury. I just want to be with my son Dan. He's going to have surgery. And I remember the day I was in the hospital after the barn fell on me, and it didn't look very good for me. I just want to be with him to encourage him and to comfort him and to urge him. Dad did not do that and I understand why he did not and I'm not faulting him in any way. But 
Maybe when I came out from underneath, I wouldn't have said to Ruthann, you didn't make it on time. You weren't here before I went into surgery. <laughs> they took me early. That's why she didn't make it on time. You say, that's not a dad's role. Paul says, encouraging, comforting, urging. Who better can cry with children than dad? You say, that's mom's role. I'm not putting down mom in any way. That'll come in the future. It's dad's role also. We say dad's to be tough. You know, he's just to take the bull by the horns. Where do you find that in Scripture? Comforting, encouraging, and urging. God, over and over again, seems to blow apart the world's idea of what it means to be a man to be a father. And I realize we have different personalities and so on. But Paul says we comforted, we encouraged, we urged. Where do the resources come from for a father to apply this scripture? Look at 1 Thessalonians. Verse, chapter 1 and verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he chose you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the true and living God and to wait patiently for his Son from heaven, whom he has raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. The gospel of Christ provides the resources. Because within the gospel of Christ, we have a power that is at work within us that is beyond what we can ask or comprehend. And God can enable us to respond differently. I remember very clearly Danny going through a difficult time in life before he was married. I knew that marriage was coming not too far, distant future, and we were on a walk one day, and he was sharing some things. And my nature was not to respond to him as I did but because of Christ, I could respond differently. I remember very distinctly going to Cedarville. On the spur of the moment, Chris had called, and this was his first year in school, and he was having a tough time for a 
a couple of reasons. And he expressed himself, I guess, to Ruth Ann and, and a little to me. And I said to Ruth Ann, I'm going to call whoever. I don't remember who I called. I guess it's a couple of the others. And I just said, I won't be around Sunday. I'm going out to see my son. So I made the journey myself. Ruth Ann didn't go along. And I can still see his luck when he saw me sitting in his, they have a common area in the dorm. Oh, Dad's here. What are you doing here? I said, I just came out to uh, comfort you. That's not my, that's not my nature. My nature is, look, buck up. Buck up, guy. Suck it up. It'll get better. But the gospel changes us and how we respond. That's the resource, guys. The Christ that came from the dead is at work in us. Another resource is just found in the example of Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Look at chapter 2. In the middle of verse 6. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. Sometime in the future we'll discuss that. But notice he says, we were gentle like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you've become so dear to us. Paul, Silas, and Timothy sharing their lives with the Thessalonians, opening themselves, pouring out themselves, not living as islands, not building a wall around themselves, but pouring themselves out. I love the, um, what is being said in chapter 2 and verse 17. But brothers, when we were torn away from you, do you catch the word there? But when we were torn or tore away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of the intense longing, we made every effort to see you. There's a relationship there. There's care. There's concern. Here's Paul, Silas, and Timothy writing to the believers in Thessalonica, pouring out their hearts. We were tore away from you, and we made every effort to see you because of our intense longings. Thessalonians, we care for you. Dad says to son, to daughter, I love you. I care for you very, very deeply. You say, men don't talk like that. God does. God said to his son, Jesus, you know, this is my beloved son, whom I love, and in him I'm well pleased. Son, I love you. I care for you. I'm proud of you. Daughter, I love you. I care for you. I'm grateful that I have you as a daughter. That's the example of Paul, Silas, and Timothy. 
Notice in chapter 3 and verse 1, so when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We couldn't stand this. We didn't know how you were doing. We didn't know if you were making it because we were torn away from you, and we know that you were going to go through some difficult times, and we just couldn't hack that. We want to know how you were doing. So we thought it best to be left by ourselves, and we send Timothy to you. Son, daughter, I just oh, care deeply for you. It just hurts me, you know, when don't get to see or, you know, don't get to interact with you. You know, I'm, I'm not sure how you're doing spiritually. I'm not sure how you're doing in your marriage. I'm not sure how you're doing in school, wherever it may be. That's the example of Paul, Silas, and Timothy. You know, how to live, how to respond relating to children. And I don't think it stops when they're 18. Is there anything wrong with a dad putting his arms around his 30 or 40 or 50-year-old son and just saying, son, I love you. I care for you. I'm committed to you. Putting his arms around his 30-year-old daughter and just saying, daughter, I love you. I care for you. I want to continue to urge you and comfort you and encourage you as the days go on. Or writing a letter and just saying, son, daughter, I'm really thankful for you. I just want you to know I love you and I'm praying for you and I care for you. The need for that doesn't stop when they're 15. When they're before teens, they need that in one way. When they're teenagers, they need it in another way. And when they become adults, <clears throat> they need it in a different way. What do we tend to do in Christianity? <clears throat> we tend to be concerned about our nation. Well, let's be concerned about our community and let's take care of the church. And then maybe kids... And then we'll help mothers and fathers don't even appear. See, what happens when you try to put water in a bucket with holes in it as you attempt to carry water? It all drains out. You say, I'll fill the bucket again. Why don't you get a new bucket? I think to a large extent in Christianity, for many years, we've been talking about everything but fatherhood. Let's do this for kids. Let's do that for teenagers. Let's do this. Let's do the next thing. And I'm not saying anything of them are wrong. I'm not knocking them. But fatherhood is critical. If you were part of the crew of a ship which was slowly sinking, but it could be corrected, would you arrange the furniture on the deck? I trust you would say no. For the last 60 to 70 to 80 years, Christianity has been rearranging the furniture on the deck of a sinking ship. We say kids are not going on for God. Let's plug the hole holes, let's deal with fatherhood. 
We may do a host of other things, and I'm not saying they're wrong. But fatherhood is critical. When is a father a father? When he is training and instructing his children. When he's encouraging, comforting, and urging his children. What is the world's definition of father? Excuse my definition. Having kids. I produced them, didn't I? And for some fathers, I will take care of them physically. But the spiritual part, the urging, the comforting, the encouraging, urging, comforting, and encouraging, and teaching and training is just kind of left out. Why do churches, schools, and ministries, musicians, lure children from fathers? I don't have a pat answer, but I think part of the answer is that we've been told for years that fathers can't be fathers even by Christians. No ministry, no school, no church, no anyone can take the place of dad. I'll close with an example or two. I wish I could take you along to Luzerne County Prison. Over the years, I visited a number of people in Luzerne County Prison. I've been in the cell block at Luzerne County Prison, you know, for Bible study. Just last week, I got a letter from a guy at Luzerne County Prison. Just said, Pastor Brubaker, no, I would like if you would stop up to see me. I I thought, who is this guy? I I don't know. But I I realized that he knew someone that was in prison and that someone knew me and that someone said to this guy, well, Pastor Brubaker might stop up to see you. But the reason I would love to take you could be Dallas Correctional Institute or down here at retreat also is to sit down and talk men that are there. And you will find there's one common theme runs through almost all of them. They had fathers who embittered them. They had fathers who exasperated them by failing to train and instruct them by failing to encourage and urge and comfort. I can't say it's true 100% of the time, but almost 100%. Perhaps that is why in the Old Testament, a father would bless his children before he died. 
sons and daughters need dad's blessing. They may have moms, and moms may be good, but they need dads. A child who does not have dad's blessing, after years of encouraging, comforting, and urging, along with training and instruction, as we discussed this morning, will spend the rest of their life trying to get dad's blessing. It may be through evil behavior. It may be through accomplishing a lot. And I would ask you, do you have your dad's blessing? And what impact did it have if you do? And if you don't, what impact did it have? I can safely say today, I would not be where I am if dad had not, at several points in my life, given his blessing to me. And that came after years of encouraging, comforting, urging, training, and instruction. Dad sent me into the world. Son, I love you. I accept you, and you'll do well. We may hear it from a thousand other people. We need it from Dad. You may have had that, you may not have it, and that's not my point. I'm encouraging you as men here tonight, as those of you who will be fathers, to bless your children. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we know that we come from different backgrounds. Some of us have had fathers of one type, others of a different type. Some of us have been encouraged and comforted and urged and trained and instructed. Others of us may not have had a lot of that. We don't want to be consumed with our past, but in the present, we want to seek you and pray especially for the fathers and the young men represented here tonight, that they would be building into their lives things that we have discussed as they seek to interact with their fathers, with their children, or fathers in the future they might seek to build into their lives even now, urging encouraging and comforting. Father, that doesn't come natural, naturally to us. Because the enemy wants us to respond in different ways. But over and over again, Father, in various ways, as believers, you urge us, you comfort us, you encourage us. Help us as men to live that out. Father, we love you, and we want to be faithful in how we respond. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen.